Good morning, everybody. My name is Jake. I'm the creative director here at Alpine Church. Happy to be here. This is my home campus. So many of you know me. Some of you wish you didn't, but I'm glad to be here. Anyway, so uh, have you guys ever seen the movie Pay It Forward? Yeah, I haven't either. Um, but I think most of us are, are aware of the premise, which is that you, you need to you do something nice for someone else, and the only thing that you ask for in return is for them to pass it on, for them to do something nice for another person, and then for them to do something nice for another person, and, and it's supposed to continue, uh, like, to create this endless chain, right? Well, I read about a, a real-life version of, of a pay-it-forward story in a Starbucks drive through And now, my wife told me that everybody knows this story and that I shouldn't say it, but it was new to me, so I hope you haven't heard it before. Um, but there was a woman who showed up at a Starbucks in, in Florida. She went through the drive through and it, she was very early in the morning, and, and she just decided to do something nice for someone and to pay for the drink behind her. And so the next person, they get up to, in line, and they think, wow, that's so kind of the person to do that, and so they pay for the person behind them. And then the, they get theirs paid for, and they get theirs paid for, and they get theirs paid for, and by 1.30 in the afternoon, 260 people in a row had gone through the drive through and paid for the person behind them. By uh, 6 o'clock near closing time, 378 customers had paid for the, the drink for the person behind them, and the streak finally came to an end with number 379. Now, I don't know what that person was thinking, but the person at the window said they didn't think they understood the idea of paying it forward. Now, I think it's easy to vilify this person, but let's be honest. You don't know what you're getting into, right? Maybe you're a, a, a straight black coffee type of person. That's like $1.50, right? But if you're someone who's like my wife, you get the biggest drink you can, and it's got four shots in it, and it's a, you know, mocha half-calf venti latte mochaccino, whatever, you know? Like, if, if your order is that long, you might have a problem. But, but those drinks are like 10 bucks. So you don't know what you're getting into. So I don't want to vilify this, this person. But, but Zoe and I, we, we, uh, we were on our way to church one Sunday a few weeks ago, and we pulled up to the Starbucks just down the road, and... If you have been to that Starbucks, you know that there's two ways to get into line in the drive-thru. And we pulled up right as somebody else pulled up. I don't know. I mean, maybe I was in a mood. Maybe this is just who I am. But I, I muttered under my breath a few choice words, and then I, like, gritted a smile and waved them through. Because we were, we were late, I think. And, but you can tell where the story is going. She paid for our drinks. And our food, and if you know Starbucks, you know that, that drinks and food are not cheap. Uh, and so it totally changed my attitude. It totally changed how I was feeling towards that person. It was like, oh, wow, okay, I'm a jerk. Um, but so we, we were happily compelled to, to do the same for the next person. And their drink was like six bucks, and our order was like 20, so we made out like bandits. <laughs> but, but this is the idea that we're talking about today. We're talking about grace, and we're talking about paying grace forward. In the last couple of weeks, we have been talking about 
grace. It's this word that we throw around a lot. It's what we, talk, we, you know, we hear it all the time. It's a very churchy word. But I think when we really think about it, we don't understand the full implications of grace in our lives. Or maybe we just have the completely wrong idea of what grace is. And so each week we've been, we've been defining grace like this. Grace is the quality of God's character by which he helps us and blesses us with good gifts without requiring anything in return. So we've talked about what that means, that's the definition, but what that means in different areas of our life. So we've talked about what that means for our eternity, that we can put our, our trust in Jesus, that he gives us grace, that it doesn't have anything to do with what we bring to the table, it doesn't have anything to do with, with who we are, but it has everything to do with who he is and his graciousness and how he saves us and how he can change our, our destiny, how he can change our eternity. And then last week we talked about how Grace changes our lives here and now. How it changes how we look at, our, at ourselves, how we view our identity, how grace changes who we are at, at the deepest level, and it changes how we live day to day. Well, today and, and next week, we're going to talk about how grace affects our relationships. And today we're going to be talking about this idea of paying grace forward, how how we can be a positive force in the world through the grace that we receive in Christ and extending that to others. So here's how we do that. We should treat each other the way that we have been treated by God. That's how we do it. That's it, right there. We treat each other the way that we have been treated by God. So this is, again, this is a little bit of a recap. Well, we talk about this every week at Alpine Church, but, but God is so good to us. He's so merciful and kind to us, so much so that when we were enemies of God, when we brought nothing to the table, when, when our sin and our selfishness separated us from God, that he gave his son, Jesus, to us to die on a cross, to take on our penalty for our sin, which is death, to take it upon himself, and, and to be victorious over it in his death and resurrection. And the Bible says when we believe in that, that we can have a relationship with God, that, that we can know him, that we can know and understand his love. And this is how God treats us. When we don't bring anything to him, this is how God treats us. And so if you have accepted and received that grace, we are called to pay it forward. Romans 15, 7 says, Therefore, accept each other just as Christ has accepted you, so that God will be given glory. So this is talking to people who have accepted God's love, who accepted the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. And it's commanding us to accept each other just as Christ has accepted you. So what is that? How has Christ accepted you? He's accepted you wholly and completely. It wasn't because of your righteousness. It wasn't because of your worthiness. It wasn't because of any of your accomplishments of how handsome or likable or smart or accomplished you are. It's none of those things. It's because of who he is, because he is loving and because he is gracious. And so that is how we are called to love others. Now, unfortunately... A lot of Christians seem to get this wrong. A lot of Christians 
seem to misunderstand this. Christians can be so judgmental. They can be so critical. They can be so negative, so unforgiving. It never ceases to amaze me just how graceless Christians can be. I mean, these are a people saved by grace, by a God who is overflowing in grace. Yet, sometimes Christians can be so graceless. It's completely hypocritical. And to Jesus, it's unthinkable. In Matthew 18, he tells a a parable of two men. One of them, uh, so, so they're both servants to the king, and one of them owes the king millions of dollars in debt. And it's time for his debt to be paid, and he doesn't have the money. And so he begs, and he pleads with the king. Please, forgive, just give me a little bit more time. I can pay you back just a little bit more time. But the king hears this, and he has pity on the man. And in an incredible act of mercy, he doesn't just extend the debt, he erases it completely. He forgives the man of millions of dollars worth of debt. And after this, this man goes to a colleague of his who owes him a few thousand dollars. And he demands payment right then and right there. And the second guy doesn't have it. So he begs and he pleads, please just give me more time, I'll I'll pay you back. But he says no. And he gets the man thrown into prison. And when the king gets word of this, we can see his response in, in verse 32. It says, The king called in the man who had been forgiven. He said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? The message of this story is pretty simple. It's pretty straightforward. If you've received God's undeserved grace, but you won't extend that to others, you are missing the point. You are missing the point of grace. This is how so many Christians get it wrong. They, you know, it's, it's easy for us, Christians or otherwise, to help people who are like us. To someone who looks like us or, or, or has similar values to, uh, like us or, or votes like us or someone who we think deserves it. You know, we think that they've, they've earned our help or they've earned a gift. Don't, don't get me wrong here. It's not bad to help someone who is similar to you. It's not bad to help someone who you think deserves it. But by definition, it's not grace. Grace is for those who you know don't deserve it. Grace is for the people who don't look like you, for the people that don't share your values, that that don't vote like you, for the people that the world has cast aside, for the people that the world has deemed unlovable, unlikable, that maybe aren't attractive, that maybe are difficult to deal with, that are annoying, that are really bad with boundaries. Those are the people we are called to extend grace to. The people that don't deserve it. This is all that God asks of us because he has done so much more for us. He gave up everything for us. So this is what it looks like in our lives to be around the people that 
maybe you don't want to be around. Jesus was willing to take on so much criticism and, and, and so many insults about his character because he was willing to hang out with the people that the world deemed unworthy. He was willing to hang out with the, the prostitutes and with the tax collectors and the sick and the poor and the unattractive. And so that is what we are called to do. Now, I do have to throw this out there as well, though. Grace does not mean that you don't also use wisdom. It doesn't mean that you don't also need to use discernment from time to time. Parents, when your kids disobey you, they step out of line, it is not grace to just sweep it under the rug. Yes, you should forgive them. Absolutely. Yes, you should still be kind to them in those moments. But it is your job to correct. It is your job to lead them in the way that they should go. And sometimes that means bringing consequences or bringing punishment. It's the most loving thing you can do, in fact. So grace, it is not, it is not ungracious to punish your children sometimes. When you do it in anger, sure. You can still be gracious in bringing consequences, but it, it is not ungracious to not do that. When you've got a, a friend that hurts you or, or, or a Christian in, in your life that you, you can see a bad habit that they have, a sinful habit maybe that, that is, is leading them away from God, leading them away from what God desires for them. It is not grace to just ignore that. There are going to be times when you're going to need to confront people. We're going to need to have a difficult conversation. You're never going to do it out of arrogance or, or anger or vindication or, or some kind of self-righteous motive, but to do it out of care, of, of actual care for their well-being. There will be times that you will need to maybe seem ungracious sometimes. If you're in a toxic or an abusive relationship, it is not gracious to let those people continue to hurt you. There are going to be times when you are going to need to have difficult conversations to set healthy boundaries. You might need to tell this person or these people how and when they can contact you. You might need to cut off the relationship altogether. You can still be firm, but also be gracious. In any of those situations, wisdom is, and, and discernment is not the opposite of grace. But when used together, actually get us the best result. But, again, never in anger. Never because you're trying to get back at them. Never because it makes you feel better to point your finger at them and recognize that maybe you don't struggle as much in that area. But always looking back to the cross, always looking back to what Jesus has done for us, and remembering that we are to extend that grace to others. Because giving grace helps others flourish and grow. Now, I want to I back off from grace for just a second to explain just something that every Christian has to deal with, which is our sin. Now, as we've talked in the series, as I've talked before, this, when we come to Jesus, 
Our sin is, is dead and gone. Our eternal destiny is assured in heaven. We can have a restored relationship with God and it has nothing to do with what we do. It has nothing to do with what we bring to the table, but everything to do with what Jesus has done for us. But we all still have to fight our natural tendency to sin. We will still struggle with sin in our lives, even in a relationship with Jesus. And part of that growth, that spiritual growth that we can find in Jesus is identifying that sin, owning that sin, working to overcome it. And a key to that is found in James 5.16. It says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. It's talking about healing from the damage that sin does. There's something about, there's something powerful and healing about identifying your sin, about confessing it to other trusted Christians and having them pray for you. When we do that, we find spiritual growth. We find healing. We flourish in Christ. But let me throw out a hypothetical situation to you. Let's say you've got a sin that's weighing in on your heart. Let's say you, you've got this habit that you, you know is leading you away from God. You know it's getting in, in the way of your relationship with God. It's maybe getting in the way of your relationship with others. And it's just, it's bringing you down. You know you need to confess it. You know you need to get it out there. You know that you need healing. So you finally build up the courage. You find someone that you think you can trust and you share that with them. And in turn, you're criticized, you're condemned, and you're judged by this person. Why would you ever want to share anything like that ever again? See, this is where it comes back to grace. If we want James 5.16 to happen, if we want to be a church, a people that see people grow and flourish in Christ and see victory over their, our sin, we have to be a grace-filled people. We have to be. We have to be a grace-filled church. And if we want to do that, we have to understand it starts with humility. Jesus tells another parable in Luke 18 about two men. He says, Then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank God that I'm not like other people. Cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give you a tenth of my income. This is a prayer, by the way. <laughs> but the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. 
So the Pharisee of this story is completely misunderstanding grace. He's standing in the temple. He's loudly praying for everybody to hear, saying, oh God, thank you, I'm not like those horrible people. He's saying, look at these things that I do. Look at all the reasons, God, that I have to deserve your favor. He's completely missing the point. Who would ever confide in a guy like this? Who would ever grow and flourish in a relationship with God because of this guy's influence in their life? But the tax collector, he gets it. He knows he's a sinner. He knows he's woefully inadequate. And he's sorrowful over his sin. He knows he doesn't deserve God's favor. He knows he has no right to judge someone else. And that's the man that God says is justified before God. So parents, if you want a grace-filled home, that might mean you need to admit to your kids sometimes that you were wrong. It might mean that you need to tell them about some of your own faults. They don't have to know everything. But enough to open up the door that they can feel safe and comfortable confiding in you. That when they do share with you that they won't be judged, that they won't be condemned, that you won't be disappointed, but that they will be accepted and loved and that you will be with them to overcome that. Couples, if you want a grace-filled marriage, you need to be the first to admit when you were wrong. You need to be the first to say, I'm sorry. I'm married, I know how it goes. That's the opposite of what we do. You need to be focused more on your own faults than you are on the faults of your spouse. And if we want to be a a grace-filled people, if we want to be people that are surrounded by growth and flourishing in Christ, then we need to be a grace-filled people. We need to remember to humble ourselves, to remember that we've all got our own baggage. We've all got our sin that we struggle with. And recognize that it is not our place to point the finger and to be the judge. God can take care of that himself. But God has asked us to be like him and to be gracious and to be loving and be accepting so that when, do, when, when people do open up to you, when they do tell you something that is, can be so hard to say, that they're met with love and acceptance and grace. Here's what I really want to challenge you with today. The world needs more grace givers. One of the most gracious men I've ever met was my InterVarsity leader. InterVarsity is a, a college ministry that I was a part of. And he had this uncanny ability to meet someone for the very first time. And within 10, 20 minutes, he would be off to the side praying with them about their deepest, darkest sin or insecurity that they just told him about. 
I confided in him on multiple times about things I was dealing with, things I was struggling with, and not once was I ever met with anything but grace, anything but acceptance. And what helped in that is he shared his own story. He shared his own struggles. He shared what he had to deal with. He was humble to his core. And because of that, he got to share an experience in so many people's growth, in so many people's uh, victory over their sin, over their insecurity, recognizing who they are in Christ. Have you ever met anybody like that? Someone whose, whose presence alone is so uplifting. Their words can be like a, a breath of fresh air. There are some people that are born like that, that are just, you know, kind at heart. But all of us can and are called to be people like that. Grace givers in the world. Because here is the, a scary reality that Hebrews 12, 15 reminds us of. It says, look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. Saying that some of us are going to fail to receive grace. That's a scary warning. Some of us are going to miss the point of grace. And when that happens, it says you become like a poisonous root. Bitterness grows in you. You become critical. You become negative. You become judgmental. You become everything that grace is not. And it says it spreads and it corrupts many. Maybe you've run into Christians like this. If you have, I'm sorry. I have too. And I know how hurtful they can be and how disappointing it can be to see. It's funny that in this ironic turn, the response that God wants us to give to graceless people like this is grace. And if grace truly is undeserved, that kind of makes them the perfect candidate. And so if you have run into people like that, maybe you've run into people like that at Alpine Church. If that's happened, I want you to know that that is not who we want to be as a church. That is not who God calls us to be, and that is not what we are working towards. We are working towards a people to be grace-filled. And, and if that has happened to you, I want to invite you today to be a more grace-filled person. And by doing that, help us be a more grace-filled church. And maybe you're hearing all this today and you're thinking, man, maybe I'm a little negative. Maybe I'm a little critical. Maybe bitterness is growing up inside of me. I want you to know it's not too late. It is not too late for God to change a heart. Pastor Ross, who, who's one of our teaching pastors here, he's been a pastor for decades here in Utah. He told me a story about a, a man that went to his church years ago. To put it kindly, uh, he was arrogant and bitter. <laughs> and he was critical. And so after he had, had burned every bridge that he had at Pastor Ross's church, he went on to another church. And he burned every bridge there. And then he went to the next church and he did it again. 
And so finally, out of the blue, years later, he gets a call, Pastor Ross, from this guy. And the guy called to apologize. Personally to him, but to the church as a whole. Because God had been working in his life and, and letting him know that, that he was being poisonous. That he was full of bitterness, that he was critical, that he was lacking in grace. That he had missed the point. And now God was working in his life to make him a more gracious person. So I want you to know, if you feel like there is some ungracious behavior in your life, some ungracious patterns, that it is not too late for God to change a heart. He can and he will. And today you can pray, God, change my heart. Humble me. Remind me of what you've saved me from and all that you've done for me so that I can understand and how I can better extend that to other people and I can be a grace giver in the world. Let's pray. God, I thank you for second chances and third chances and fourth chances. God, you are so unyielding in your graciousness towards us. You will never give up on us. And so I pray, Lord, that you would just remind us of your great love, of our great failure, and remind us that that we're not defined by our past, God, but that we can use it to stay humble, that we can use it to keep you on the throne of our lives, and that when in our interactions and in our relationships with others, God, that we would just be people that ooze grace. So that we can partner with you, we can be a part of the work that you are doing, God, in your kingdom here on earth, in the lives that you are changing, in the victory that you are bringing over sin every day, God, that we could be a part of that. When we put aside our critical behavior, when we put aside our ungraciousness and we extend the same grace that you've given to us, Lord. God, be with us as we do this. Change our hearts and help us to be the people that you know we can be. In your name, amen.